Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Dropping In Surf Show. My name is Rob Case. I'm a paddling technique coach located in Northern California. And uh, if you if you don't know uh, about some of the things that I do, I, I work with surfers to improve their paddling efficiency, their speed, and work with them on technique to prevent injury. And that's my level one program. And then I teach surfers how to catch waves with as little effort as possible in level two. That's when we go deep into the sprint technique as well as reading waves, uh, getting out and popping up. And then once surfers are on their feet, I hand them off to uh, a surf technique coach that I trust and, uh, and off they go. In today's episode, I wanted to take a look at skill acquisition and how do we accelerate skill acquisition in a given surf session. So I did, I've, I've done a bunch of research on motor learning over the years for paddling. Um, and it, a lot of it comes from swimming. Uh, and while right now there, uh, there are more studies coming out on specifically paddling on surfing, um, at where we're really at the infancy of research. Whereas in, in swim, uh, they've been doing research since the 60s, and many of the techniques have, have matured and evolved into to very specific and accurate measurements. Now, that being said, science isn't always 100% accurate, but you know that's the, the idea behind science is you get enough reps in, you get enough um, trials in, uh, and you can start to lead to a certain conclusion until somebody disproves that conclusion. Um, but at any rate, I've used swim research to help me formulate a lot of the surf techniques that I teach. Um, and what I'm going to do today is take a little bit of from surfing, a little bit from swimming, and talk to you about how do you accelerate skill acquisition in a given surf session. So what are kind of the, the, the key elements? And, I, and I've narrowed it down to two major major things that affect your performance and your skill acquisition in a given surf session. So I'm going to go through each one and it's all based off of some research that I found. And so I'm going to show you some research. So if you're watching this on YouTube, you get to see some of some of the studies that have been done in these areas. Uh, if you're just listening to this in your car or, or out on a walk or something like that, um, I will do my best to describe what is being shown on the screen. The first thing that I, I want to discuss, there are two, two major areas that, um, that I want to talk about in terms of accelerating skill, uh, skill learning or skill acquisition in a surf session. The first one is actually your body temperature. Um, this study that I'm showing on the screen, characterization of regional skin temperatures and recreational surfers wearing a two millimeter wetsuit was conducted by Corona Simmons, Nestler and Newcomer. Uh, our friends down at CSU San Marcos doing some great uh, surf studies, by the way. So that's uh, California State University at San Marcos. Um, and in this one, uh, they were they were able to outline the different areas of the body that experience uh, skin temperature and uh, skin temperature loss uh, throughout a surf session. Uh, now, so there's a lot of great data in this on kind of okay, where do you where do you lose the most uh, uh, temperature during a surf session? You know, what part of the body? Um, but what what I want to point out 
is the time it takes and how drastically the temperature goes down. And so this is this is one of the things that uh, that uh, I've had conversations actually with um, with Sean Newcomer about. And I said, you know, if you, I think in another podcast episode we talked about it, what's the number one thing to improve performance in the surfing. He said the, the best thing you can do is just keep yourself warm, keep your muscles warm, because as soon as they cool, uh, they don't work as well. Um, and, and that's me paraphrasing what he eloquently said in an academic um, environment. So in terms of skill acquisition and performance in your surf, you want to be as warm as possible. Um, and, and and that being said, you know, you, you don't want to have too much wetsuit on that would limit any sort of mobility uh, in, in the movements that we want to make in surfing or in paddling. But at the same time, we need to stay warm. We need to stay warm or else the, the muscles won't fire properly. So in this study, this was just on a two millimeter wetsuit. And what we can really pull from this and make some assumptions about is uh, different water temperatures, different air temperatures around the world, where you're going to excel the most from a skill point of view. So this, uh, this chart that I'm showing here, if you don't see it in, on the Y axis, it has skin temperature in Celsius and along the X axis, it has time in minutes. And, the data plots that are shown are the different parts of the body where uh, the sensors were located. So you have the upper chest, the upper back, the upper arm, the lower abdomen, the lower back, the forearm, the thigh, and the calf. And what we notice at the very beginning, we've got one minute of time. And um, for example, the upper back is about 35 degrees Celsius. Um, the calf is just done under 32 so it's like 31 point i'd say 0.8 degrees celsius uh and that's that's your high and your low between the two so you got your upper back and then you got your calf this makes total sense right because your calf is submerged in the water um so you've got your calf is the coldest the thigh is right about the same to start then you have uh right above that it looks like the forearm and and then the upper chest, then lower back, and then upper arm, and then upper back. So the upper arm and the upper back being you know, out of the water the most, that makes the most sense that it starts the warmest. And then you've got your lower back. Uh, surprisingly, your upper chest is cooler uh, to start, but then in five minutes, they're about even, it's about even with the lower back. So maybe that was just a weird anomaly there where the upper chest was cooler than the lower back. Um, and then it goes down, you know, your forearms, if you're, you've got your arms in the water, um, then your forearms are going to be submerged and then the thigh and the calf. So we start out as we would expect, you know, the top part of our body's warm, lower parts, a little bit cooler because of the water. And, the temperatures start to drop as the time increases. So I, I should take a moment right now just to, to note that this uh, this was conducted uh, over 46 surf sessions, uh, up to 65 minutes, um, this study, in, in Southern California. So you can imagine the, 
the water temperatures, um, let's see here, water temperatures average 16 degrees Celsius plus or minus 0.1 degrees Celsius. Um, and so this was kind of the parameters and you had average wind speed of about 7.8 kilometers per hour. Um, and um, air temperature was about 18.7 degrees Celsius. So typical Southern California kind of uh, sessions. Um, and so you have within five minutes, uh, you see a dramatic drop in those appendages that are in the water. So the calf, the thigh, the forearm, the lower abdomen, uh, the lower back, uh, and even the upper chest drop um, pretty significantly. The upper arm actually drops fairly significantly. What does stay is the upper back. The upper back, it does drop, but it doesn't drop as dramatically within five minutes as all of the other parts of the body. Within 10 minutes, it, we have another significant drop. The calf drops. Um, and it, remember, the calf started just under 32 degrees Celsius. By 10 minutes, it's just above 28 degrees Celsius. There's an enormous drop in temperature in just 10 minutes. The thigh does this a similar drop. It's a little bit warmer than the calf. Uh, the lower abdomen drops dramatically from you know the start was a was probably uh, 32 and a half degrees celsius and within 10 minutes it's below uh 30 degrees probably just above 29 degrees celsius um, then the forearm drops not as dramatically from five minutes to 10 minutes but it still has that significant drop and now the every every sensor is dropping more dramatically from five minutes to 10 minutes it drops again, though not as steep of a drop from 10 to 15 minutes. It still drops a good amount. Uh, it drops uh, from just over 28 degrees, the, the calf, uh, to about 27 degrees. So, you know, a, about a, a little over a degree in another five minutes for the calf. And then that similar trend follows for uh, many of the other uh, parts uh, of the body. The forearm drops a lot less. It only dropped from just over 30 to just below 30 degrees within that 10 to 15 minute period. Um, the low back dropped more dramatically. Uh, again, the upper chest, the upper arm, and the upper and the um, upper back all dropped, but at much slower slopes than the calf, the thigh. The lower abdomen and, and those things that are th those parts that are in the water, right? 15 minutes to 20 minutes, once again, another uh, fairly significant drop of the calf, of the thigh. Uh, the lower abdomen starts to flatten, but there's still a drop. The forearm does almost flatten, the lower back drops still. The upper chest and the upper arm and the upper back all flatten out at about the 20 minute mark. Okay, so now we're looking at 20 minutes into a session. We've got our, our calf, our thigh, our lower back dropping significantly uh, from their starting points the lower abdomen as well. And, and, and you got to think, these are the parts of our body that we're using the most when we surf, right? It's our calf, it's our thigh, it's our lower back, it's our lower abdomen and our core that, yeah, you're paddling around and maybe that's why the upper body isn't dropping as dramatically is because you're using it 
more actively. But meanwhile, your lower body, which is used for all the surfing activity, has dropped immensely. The calf alone in 20 minutes dropped from, from just under 32 degrees Celsius to 20, almost 26 degrees Celsius, right? So if we, if we were to just do just 32 to 26, uh, divided by 26 minus 1, that's a 23% drop. 23% drop in, in temperature in just 20 minutes. Okay, so now let's go another five minutes. Another five minutes, once again, the calf drops, but not as significantly. Now it's starting to flatten out a little bit. The, the thigh flattens out. The lower abdomen goes down, but flattens out a little bit more. The forearm is fairly flat. The lower back drops more. The upper chest, the upper arm, and the upper back all stay relatively flat between 20 minutes and 25 minutes. And then finally, from uh, 25 to 30 minutes, once again, the calf drops more uh, at that point, but it's starting to now, yeah, at about the 40-minute mark, the calf starts to, to flatten out, I should say. So it's can continue to drop down. By the time it starts to kind of flatten out a little bit at 40 minutes, the calf has dropped from just under 32 degrees Celsius to uh, just over 25 degrees Celsius, which is incredible. The thigh starts to flatten out around 35 degrees, it looks like, roughly. Uh, the lower abdomen starts to really kind of flatten out around the 30-minute mark, 30 to 35-minute mark. Uh, the lower back, about the same, maybe a little bit sooner, about the 25-minute mark. Um, and so when I mean by flattening out, is it just doesn't get any colder. Uh, and so one could interpret this as, Hey, at like 30 minutes, your lower body and actually your body in general has dropped a dramatic amount in temperature, your skin temperature at the very least. And therefore, you could assume that your muscles underneath that skin temperature have dropped a significant amount as well and are now underperforming from the beginning of the session. So how does that help with skill acquisition or skill uh, what did I call it? Uh, accelerating skill learning during a surf session. You got to keep your sessions to 30 minutes or less. Just based off of warmth. Now, this is in Southern California, like I said, with, with a water temperature of about 16 degrees Celsius. And actually, let me find, let me do my little conversion here to find out for those of us in uh, uh, using Fahrenheit. So let's see here, 16 Celsius to Fahrenheit is about 60 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, 61 for the uh, for the conversion there. So about 61 degree uh, temperature. You're not wearing booties. You're not wearing hoods. You're not wearing gloves here. This is a pretty you know pretty standard Southern California water temps um, with slightly warmer air temps. You know probably in the mid 60s to 70 uh, degree air temps with not a lot of wind. So this is in a pretty nice place. So if you come up to Northern California where we are, I'm going to assume, and I'm sure they're doing these studies because I actually ran into somebody from Cal State San Marcos doing a study up here. I'm sure they're trying to replicate this up here as well to see how fast does your body or does your skin temperature drop during a surf session, maybe given a 4-3 wetsuit, for example. So 
but at any rate, the idea here is when the when your body temperature drops to a certain point, which it looks like here was is within you know Southern California maybe thirty to forty minutes. Forty minutes is on that upper range because you don't really want you don't want your muscles your skin in this in this case you don't want the skin temps to flatten um as the you know the very very end you want your your muscles to be activated the entire time you know and again i'm i'm associating skin skin temperature to the muscle activity as well so that is an assumption i'm making um based off of conversations i've had uh, about uh, the link of, of of temperature and the activation of um, of muscle groups and performance. So you really want to, if you're in Southern California, you want to target maybe 30 minutes. That's about it. That's when everything starts to kind of flatten around 25 to 30 minutes, right? 25, 30 minute sessions. So the more sessions or the warmer you are, the more you can keep your body temperature up. So, uh, I mean, I've, I've been up here what I've been, I felt very warm for an hour up here, but that's because I'm constantly catching waves. So maybe that has a lot to do with it as well as how many waves you catch in a given time period. When I take clients out, I'm big on wave count. I said, you know, it doesn't matter the quality of the wave. I want you to get moving right off the bat. No sitting for the best wave coming in because you got to keep that body temperature up and you got to keep it moving. Um, so it all came from this kind of science that I've been researching and, and, and learning about uh, and passing it on to my clients. So number one, uh, in terms of accelerating skill learning during a surf session is stay warm. So if you think, you know, if you live in an area where you have warmer water, you, you could still lose a lot of body temperature without wearing enough wetsuit given the water temperature or even the air temperature or the wind chill factor. So if you're in Florida or if you're in Costa Rica, you could have these, these elements that drop your body temperature and within you know 30 minutes, you can still feel kind of chilly. So you may be able to last a little bit longer in those warmer climates with warmer waters, but just be cognizant that, hey, if you want to stay out even longer than that, you want to suit up. You want to wear a bit, a bit of a wetsuit. Now, that being said, there was another study here. Let me pull that one up. Uh, fluid loss in recreational surfers. This was done uh, also by uh, Cal State San Marcos, um, Bond University in Australia, Southern Cross University, um, and, and University of Sydney was a part of this tropical island biodiversity studies uh, in Boca de Toro, Panama. So this was kind of a multi-group study. And in this one, they did show that when, uh, when a wetsuit was worn in a hot temperate uh, zone, um, then the body mass uh, fluid was, was dropped even more. So you want to be very cognizant. So, so, so in other words, your fluid loss was much faster when you wore a wetsuit in Costa Rica in uh, <laughs> warmer wires. So um, you had a, a higher risk of dehydration in those instances. Whereas when you were wearing a wetsuit in, uh, say, San Diego, in this case, um, the me metabolic rates were, were about the same. The, the, um, uh, uh, sweat, the amount of sweat was about the same as 
wearing no wetsuit in Costa Rica and no wetsuit in, in Australia. So the fluid loss uh, was, was about the same um, uh, proportionally. So, um, yeah, so th there, was a j there was just another study. Um, uh, they're saying here, 12 professional surfers surfed for 100 minutes in a wetsuit. Half of the participants experienced a, a mean body mass loss of 3.9%, reaching a significant level of dehydration with likely significant debt decrements to health and or performance um, now keep in mind the participants in that study wore wetsuits in warmer conditions um, than the study that they did uh, for the for the uh, fluid loss um, uh, and and they um, they surf so they surfed longer and they were in warmer water and they wore a wetsuit so um, there is kind of a, a moment at which you know, you, if you're in a warmer climate and you're wearing a wetsuit, you could actually lose a lot of fluid. Um, and that would also reduce your performance and skill acquisition as well. So th there's a fine line between the two is just find that nice, that nice happy medium between water temperature, air temperature, and wetsuit amount so that you're not, uh, losing too much fluid but also that your body parts are going to stay warm and active and you can then practice, which gets us to step number two. So in all of my motor research uh, uh, or secondary research, I have found a lot of great resources discussing, you know, repetition and practice, but this study by Dr. Rod Haverluck, um, called Approaching Perfect Swimming, Optimal Freestyle Technique. This is more of a kind of a book, but he goes into a lot of the research he's done, and I use his technology in level two when I measure someone's hand force. Um, he goes in a lot into, he has this nice little chapter on uh, what's called deliberate practice, a scientific basis for accelerating skill learning. Um, and he has this term called deliberate practice. Um, and he has found in his studies that um, shorter amounts of time of deliberate practice yield, you know, deliberate practice meaning focused practice where you're focusing on something during your activity has yielded far higher results than um, um, not thinking about what you're doing, but doing it for a long time. So in this instance it's swimming right so if you were swimming traditionally you just swim laps back and forth 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 and in time you will improve and so he used the active drag coefficient uh, as a measurement for improvement in swimming technique which is a really good actual measurement and metric for that but in, in general, you know, if you're just swimming, just to swim when you're young, 11, 12, 13, 14, you're going to improve your active drag coefficient or your technique just, just by being in the water more, you know, when you're that, that young. Now, the, you know, again, this study is, is, is age-based, but it shows us a couple things. One, that when he did a one week of deliberate practice with uh swimmers their improvement was almost as much as two years of traditional practice where they were just swimming just to swim one week one week 
the effect size was just over 0.5 uh, for the deliberate practice and traditional practice was almost 0.7. So significant improvements in both areas, but would you rather be doing deliberate practice for one week or just going out and doing whatever you're doing for two years? <laughs> to to have just a little bit more now in older swimmers traditional practice actually reduced their technique and drag coefficient um minus 0.15 it looks like roughly over a two-year period whereas a seven 17 year olds with one month of deliberate practice increased their improvement about 30 percent so their active drag coefficient went up 0.3. So this is showing us two things. One, deliberate practice works. That's that's the number one thing that this is showing us. The, number, the second thing that it shows us is really the effect that age has on traditional practice versus uh, deliberate practice. And as we age, deliberate practice is necessary over traditional practice. Traditional practice is again defined as something where you know you're just going out and you're surfing. You're just having fun, which is awesome. I love that. I love that. But a lot of people come to me and they're like, I wonder why I don't improve. I surf all the time and, and I've been surfing for 15, 20 years and I've barely gotten better. Well that's because you're just doing traditional practice. There's no deliberate practice worked into that. Now, it's totally fine to go out and surf and surf for fun. That's awesome. But we have to incorporate some deliberate practice in order to improve our skill level. So if, first of all, we're keeping our sessions to 30 minutes to 40 minutes based off of step number one, keeping ourselves warm, right? So if our, if our typical sessions are 30 to 40 minutes and we're just doing more of those, then that's a good amount of time for us to have deliberate practice for we're going to get more focused practice sessions and move the needle of performance a lot faster and accelerate it so let's go through some of the things that you know the, these are just effects on swimming pre-test post-test um, he's showing all the different swim strokes and how their active drag coefficients all went down after deliberate practice and their swimming speeds all went up after deliberate practice, pre-test, post-test. Um, and same thing here. This is this is swimming velocity and active drag coefficient in another. These are um, national swim team members uh, between 14 and 21 years of age. Um, they had pre, you know, after the pre-test. There's instructional intervention, classroom poolside instructional sessions, so on and so forth. Lots of deliberate practice and then the post-test. And in this one, you actually see the active drag coefficient drop dramatically from just under 1.2 to just over 1.1. So about a 10% re 0.1% reduction, I should say, 0.1% reduction in the active drag coefficient. That's, again, signifying efficiency improvement. The hand average hand force dropped even more. It dropped from just over one uh, sorry, just over 62 newtons of force down to about 57 newtons of force. That is a huge drop in average hand force. So they they're pushing 
less. They're using less effort. They're moving through the water more efficiently. And their swimming velocity reduces negligibly. 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 <laughs> very little. The swim velocity does go down slightly, but very small. You know, from one point... Uh, I don't think that that's meters per second. No, that is meters per second. One point, I would say two seven, down to about one point two six. Right. So, yeah, the swim velocity went down, but but pretty much stayed the same, while the swimmers used less force and were more efficient in the water. So again, these are the things that I do with paddlers all the time with surfers for their paddling and when we go through these kind of techniques of how do we do deliberate practice right i'll uh i'll explain to you kind of how i do my stuff and then how some of the coaches out there in this world um do it there's some great surf coaches that use these steps in their process so um so let's let's go through it so he used the 1993 uh, study, which is a little bit old, but um, it was backed up by a 2007 study, um, and then his studies in 2014. So, you know, we've got we've got some some uh, legacy years under our belt here with these studies, and essentially he he summarized it as, you know, to have a successful deliberate pr uh, practice program, the characteristics of that would be number one, clear instructions. Number two, tasks designed to account for skill level. So think about this for a surf session, okay? So clear instructions of what to do. Tasks designed to account for skill level. You're not going to ask someone to try to do airs when they're just learning how to stand, for example. A sufficient number of skill repetitions. Now that's where it's going to be tough for surfers. That I can do very easily with paddling. There's a lot of repetitions in paddling, um, but a sufficient number of skill repetitions for riding and having that same moment to do a particular mover, move, uh, maneuver at a certain point on the wave, that, that's tough. That's where wave pools are really helping with that. But even wave pools, you, you don't get a, a sufficient number of skill repetitions uh, you get a lot more than you do in the ocean, but especially within a, especially within a 30 minute period, you know, depending on the conditions out in the ocean, you might not even have, you know, five repetitions in 30 minutes. It depends on, you know, your wave catching, but also the conditions, right? So sufficient number of skill repetitions is like a hundred, right? And, and, and that's a minimum is what we're talking about here. So if you're doing 30 minute sessions, getting five, <laughs> five waves every half hour. Uh, do we even get to 100? Yeah, we need we need a lot of time. You know, a lot of half hour sessions. So you get to 10 within an hour uh, and then you got to do 10, 10 of that. So you got to do 10 hours of 30 minute sessions. We, we just don't have that much time in a, in, a, in a day. So the number of waves per half hour needs to go up um, and wave pools get us there a little bit closer, but at the same time, um, they're still not even kind of reaching that. Whereas with paddling, I can make someone do a hundred reps of paddling, hundred arm strokes, you know, easily. You know, that's that's about a hundred 
seconds to 200 seconds in, in time. And so I can, I can make them do those over and over and over and over again. Uh, step number four, immediate feedback. And again, that's another challenge at the beach, but can be done um, with video feedback and coaching. And I know a lot of great coaches that do awesome feedback individualized supervision once again just having a coach you know so immediate feedback is number four and a lot of people will you know videotape their buddies surfing which is fantastic that 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 is number four but individualized supervision that's the coaching aspect that's having somebody else's perspective on it explaining certain things um number six a variety of learning strategies A variety of learning strategies so you know video photos in in classroom um, dry land pool flat water um, these are all a variety of learning strategies um, reading text uh, number seven an athlete's ability to stay in cognitive and associative learning stages uh, that's a, a fancy way of saying man you just gotta <laughs> you gotta stay focused and then the last one consistent replication of superior performance so can you keep that technique over a certain period of time so this is all coming back to you got to limit your sessions because all of these things are except for except for a sufficient number of skill repetitions all these other things really have a lot to do with keeping your sessions shorter so here are some examples uh, he gives for deliberate practice in swimming, and I'm just going to kind of revise them for surfing. I'll just kind of reword them a little bit because they're very close. So the general characteristics of deliberate practice, number one, clear instructions. A specific characteristic of deliberate practice for surfing would be images of a model to demonstrate optimal technique. So that would be watching video, uh, looking at another great surfer in the lineup. Um, Precise wording of specific visual and kinesthetic cues that complement that model. So this would be somewhere where you might see McFanning rotate, you know, his head and his upper shoulders and give yourself a cue that says rotate, you know, or something like that. And I know a lot of coaches that give great cues um, out there. So Surf Simply does a wonderful job. Um, Clayton Ninaber does a great job. I know Barry Green does a great job. Dan Mori does a great job. These are all surf coaches that I've worked with um, that give fantastic cues. Um, but they also, in step number two, appropriate task difficulty. So this characteristic of deliberate practice, appropriate task difficulty. So surfs with focus on the most appropriate cues. So that would be like you want to work on vertical top turns, but the waves are super mushy. <laughs> well, you're not going to use, if you're using a top turn cue, I don't know what that would be, but if it's a cue that has something to do with that technique, it's not appropriate given the, the day, right? And, um, the second aspect of this is drills that isolate focus on select cues. So once again, you know, finding different drills. Uh, I know these surf coaches that I've mentioned have different drills that isolate on a on a specific cue while you're surfing so you can kind of think about it while you're surfing 
Um, ways that I do this with paddling, the same thing. I, I give people cues. I give them mantras. Uh, we do drills over and over and over again that isolate focus points um, for those cues. Number three, sufficient number of skill repetitions. We kind of already talked about it, uh, but some of the characteristics of deliberate practice, numerous short distance surfs at a slow stroke rate with limited breathing and constant focus. So that I, I, I substituted swims for surfs, but that didn't really work in that instance. But basically this says numerous short, short distance or numerous short, quick repetitions. And, and here they're saying when you're swimming, you want to do slow stroke rate. And so, you know, for me, for paddling, that's what we do. We slow everything down. We limit, you know, all the extra things and you're super focused on the one cue or the one drill. I can do that in my pool. I can slow the pace down or we can do that in open water. That's really difficult to do surfing. Um, the only place I think you might be able to do this um, would be like wave key that Brad Gerlach does. That is very slow, very focused movement. It's not the same as being in the water, but it definitely gets you the number of skill repetitions you need, and it allows you to go really, really slow and focus on a cue. And he gives you great cues in that as well, right? So, you know, th that's where, you know, okay, that one, if you can't get in the water and get the, the skill repetitions, then, then you would do something like wave key where you're out of the water kind of thing. Um, but the idea here is to slow everything down. The other place that I think might have potential for this is virtual reality. And so um, we're kind of on the cusp of using virtual reality to enhance um, uh, motor learning. Uh, and that might be a great area where you're not necessarily surfing, but maybe you're in an environment that has similar body movements that allow you to surf in that game. And you can maybe slow things down very slowly. Maybe you can do it at like half speed or quarter speed. So the wave is moving really, really slowly and you are now matching your movement to that. Just an idea. Anybody out there with VR skills, that would be a great thing to start up. Uh, number four, immediate feedback. Group and individual feedback about compliance with cues immediately after surfs or during, right? So if you got a surf coach in the water with you, giving you immediate feedback after every wave. Wave pools, once again, give us a really good uh, environment for this, but you could do this out in the ocean as well if your surf coach is out in the water. The problem is the surf coach can't see the wave that you're surfing if they're now gonna be out in the water. So sometimes when I go with surfers, I'll catch the same wave as them so I can see everything up into the pop-up. And then I, I straighten out because I don't, you know, I don't coach once you're on the wave, but I know some coaches would actually take the wave with the surfer uh, for as much as they can uh, and then uh, give that immediate feedback when they kick out. Um, and the wave pools, I know at Kelly's, we've got the jet ski and that's boom, it's immediate feedback loop. Um, number five, individualized supervision. This is, this is coaches. These are coaches. These are friends even. And it says reminders before surfs, reminders of the cues, reinforcement after surfs about compliance with those cues. Again, it could be even reinforcement during. Um, feedback after surfs about non-compliance with cues. So again, that's just 
that's somebody being able to say, Hey man, you had your hand up or, you know, for me, it's, yeah, you slipped on those strokes and immediately they feel it. And it's that positive cue when they do it right. Hey, you did that. Great. You feel that pressure on your arm. That's what you do it. Um, number one, two, three, four, five, six variety of learning strategies. They're saying classroom and poolside instruction and analysis. I would say also oceanside um, analysis and instruction. And so, like a place like Surf Simply, you have you have all that. You know, you have the classroom, you have the pool, you have the ocean. Um, and so that's something I do a lot with my paddling. Is I've got a classroom, I've got the pool, I've got the flat water, and I got ocean. Um, second part of that swims and drills. Uh, or surfs and drills that isolate focus on select cues. So this would be like if you're going to the beach with Dan or Barry and they're like, all right, given the conditions, we can really work on your backside bottom turn. So here's a cue and you're just going to focus on that for 20 minutes and then come back in. And so that's that variety of learning strategies or, you know, you're working with Brad on wave key and he's like, okay, you're going to do, you do the form this particular way and you're going to really focus on that. Um, analysis with quantitative force data and synchronized underwater video. Obviously, that's very specific to what he's doing in swimming, the, the uh, Dr. Haverlook. Um, and this is specific to what I do in level two. We have analysis and quantitative force data. That's specific to level two. But I also do analysis and quantitative efficiency uh, data with synchronized underwater video uh, for paddling. Um, the next one, maintain focus in cognitive and associative learning st stages. Maintain focus in cognitive and associative learning stages. So these are things like reminders before the surfs to focus on cues uh, on every wave um, or on every stroke for me. Um, questions about focus on cues following surfs. You know, actually checking in with you so as a coach checking in with you or even you questioning yourself like did i do this like having a bit of a reflection that's essentially what that's saying is did i stay focused on this or did my mind wander because there were waves and trust me i've seen this a million times we get out you know i'm like all right guys we're gonna do a drill as soon as we go out and as soon as their hand their their foot hits the sand boom they're just thinking about the waves right and they're not they're not they're not thinking about the drill anymore they're not thinking about the movement anymore and i get that we're excited about surfing that's what we want to do but you know checking in and and maintaining that focus in those different learning stages give yourself some time and i always give my clients a parameter around how long i want them to focus for and when i want them to focus so really important that you give yourself those parameters as well give yourself time to just go surf and not have to think about it but definitely give those give those parameters on when you should do that and when you should really focus um, another point here dialogue between the instructor and surfers about the use of cues and attention to learning strategies so that's just communicate communicate with whoever either yourself that you're working with someone or your friend that you're working with or a coach and then the last thing is replication of superior performance that's essentially, it says, emphasis on continual control of movements to replicate optimal technique. So that's just making sure that, one, you have, you're in the environment for optimal technique. You know, surfing, I think, is 
going to be very challenging in that respect. That's where, again, wave pools would help. Um, because every wave is different. You're not going to have the opportunity to replicate superior performance every single time. Um, but you can in, say, wave key and, and surf skating. I know Chris Mills has a good surf skate uh, program as well. You know, th the things that take you out of the surf um, to work on things, you can replicate optimal technique. Just make sure that when you're doing deliberate practice that, that you really, you don't count a rep unless it's optimal technique, right? Don't just count reps to count reps. Oh, I need to get through 10 of these reps. No, they need to be 10 good ones because um, you always heard the adage, practice makes perfect. But that's not really what the brain, how the brain works. The brain works that that adage should be perfect practice. Perfect practice makes perfect. And so if you don't have a perfect repetition, then your brain is just going to associate whatever movement you you introduce to it and that you do. And the brain is going to say, oh, well, I'm going to make that an unconscious movement. I'm going to make it a lot faster and more efficient for the body to, to proceed through that. So replication of superior performance just means you need to replicate optimal technique each and every time. So... You know, hopefully that that helps a bit with just understanding how would you structure your surf session to accelerate skill learning. You would want to stay warm, number one, uh, and you would want to focus on deliberate practice, um, which is easily done for paddling, a lot harder for surfing, but you can you can achieve these these characteristics of deliberate practice um, you can do it uh, within the surf world so hopefully that helps out um, and if you try it out and it works let me know if you try it out and you find great difficulty in doing it let me know i'd love to i'd love to hear either way uh, you guys trying these things out so keep your surfs to 20 to 40 minutes uh, if you're in a warmer client just remember um, you want to match how long you want to surf for um, uh, with whatever w the wetsuit thickness that you want to wear or the insulation. Um, if you get cold right off the bat, you I mean, you could easily get cold within 10 minutes in Costa Rica. If you're already used to the temperature and a cold front comes through and gives you a little bit of wind chill, you're going to be out of the water in 10 minutes and, and your performance is going to go down. So you have to match the air temperature, wind, wind chill, and water temperature to lasting at least 30 minutes um, without feeling cold at all, right? And so that's that's the idea is is you don't want to feel cold. Once you feel cold, you're you, you've already gone past that that deadline. Um, so that's number one. Keep yourself warm. Keep your your surfs to a minimal 20 to 30 minutes, and just do more of them if you can. Uh, and then go through these general characteristics of deliberate practice and try and hit as many of these as possible. All right, that is it uh, for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. And of course, if you guys want to work with me, my online course, Level 1 online course, uh, is available. We do member live streams about monthly. And then uh, you can subscribe to the newsletter and be a part of a quarterly webinar uh, as well as some other really cool training that's out there. I hope to work with you at some point in the future. And until then, I'll see you in the water.